You're listening to Your Woo Woo Best Friend, a no BS approach to wellness, spirituality, manifestation, and all things mystical. Hello, it's Andy. Welcome to Your Woo Woo Best Friend. Thank you for joining us today on the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome to our community. If you have been here for our two seasons, we are coming to a close very soon with the second season. Thank you for showing up again week after week after week. We're here every Thursday, so make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss an episode. I love this time of year so much for so many reasons. One of those reasons is the fact that we get to spend a few months as the year comes to a close reflecting on all that we've experienced and we get this opportunity to begin to make our plans for the year ahead. We've just come through eclipse season. I invite you to consider what doors you have closed, what you have released, what skin you have shed, and start to breathe life into those dreams that you're holding deep inside. Shine some light on them begin to make them visible. I'm going to share a couple of journal prompts with you to help you create a vision for the year ahead. And then we have a fabulous interview with Sensei Koshin Paley Ellison, who I will introduce you to in just a moment. Before we do that, let's talk about these journal prompts. Okay, so these are designed to help you create a vision for the year ahead. First, if you're driving... You can just roll these ideas around in your mind. If you're working out, same thing. Taking your hot girl walk, same thing. If you're in a place where you can pull out your journal, pull it out and let's go deep. First prompt, describe one of your favorite memories from this year. What did that memory look like? What did it feel like? What did it sound like? Who was there? How did you feel when it was over? Then brainstorm on what would it take to have more memories like this in the year ahead? Consider it. Who would need to be there? Where would you need to be for these things to happen? What conversations would you need to have? What sort of setting and environment would you need to create for yourself to create more memories like this for the year ahead? Next, if you could make one significant change, if you could commit to one moment of evolution in your life for 2023, what would it be? And whatever just rolled into your head first, sit with that. Let your intuition guide you. And now to make that evolution happen, to make that change, what do you need to begin prioritizing today? Consider your purpose and how you prioritize purpose. When we bring those two things together, Now we have a plan that we can all get behind. Now we start to bring that vision to life. And that is my wish for you going into 2023. If you need support or guidance or accountability in creating this vision for 2023, I have one-on-one sessions open for the month of November. We are also offering some sessions that can be purchased for friends and loved ones. They will be recorded sessions. More details on that coming soon. You can book these sessions over on our website. We have soul strategy readings live or recorded. And we also have conscious CEO sessions for those of you thinking about how to implement this work into your business. If you have questions, as always, send me a DM. I love chatting with you, hearing what you have going on to help you find the best tools and resources for you. After all, that is what we are here for on this show. Okay, my woo-woo besties, I've been telling you it's coming. We have a new show sponsor. Yay! Welcome to my morning essentials list and welcome to your woo-woo best friend, Magic Mind. You know that I am 
pretty particular about what it comes to what I put in my body, not necessarily because I want to be, trust me, there are days when I'd love to go all in on the espresso and the lattes. However, I've told this story here before, about 10 years ago, I was having pretty intense heart palpitations and it ended me up in the cardiologist's office. I was like, what the hell is happening? I am way too young for this. My doctor told me that I needed to do a couple of things like ASAP or more so I needed to do less of some of the things that I was doing on the regular. On that list, I needed to cut down on the alcohol. I needed to dial back the stress as if that's so easy to do. And I needed to cut back on the caffeine. It took quite a few years for me to get there. I was somebody who was drinking like four cups of coffee a day. Does that feel like you? But I finally gave it up completely after really putting in the effort. Earlier this year, I had another round of health challenges. I met with my nutritionist to ensure that I had a game plan to treat my body really well in regards to the food that I'm eating, the drinks I'm drinking, and the supplements that I'm taking each day. I've been drinking matcha. I'm actually pretty obsessed with matcha. As you know, I love my matcha dates with my girlfriends here in Los Angeles, and I would drink it all day long if I could. Matcha contains way less caffeine than coffee and also has additional compounds that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it. Matcha also has L-theanine, which is the ingredient that gives you that feeling of a little extra dose of happiness after that matcha date. I'm also an advocate for nootropics and adaptogens that specifically support cognitive function and mood boosting. Hello, creativity enhancers. So enter Magic Mind. Magic Mind is formulated with these ingredients that I love, matcha, ashwagandha, lion's mane, and cordyceps mushrooms, and more. My nutritionist gives these ingredients a total thumbs up. Magic Mind is a little green shot in a bottle. The packaging is beautiful, and it's bottled here in California. I've made these shots a part of my morning ritual, and I am truly loving the results. I found that I'm able to drop into deep flow work and creativity, and I feel focused and relaxed at the same time. When the folks at Magic Mind reached out about sponsoring this show, I was so thrilled to try the product, and now I honestly can't imagine my morning without it. I'm obviously a big fan. It's been such a wonderful addition to my day, and if you're feeling like you can relate, I 1000% recommend that you give Magic Mind a try. Here's the deal on how you can get it. You know I have a code for you. Go to magicmind.co slash best friend. That's M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D dot co slash best friend. And use my code best friend 20. You can get a limited time 40% off the Magic Mind subscription and 20% off a one-time purchase. Again, the 20% off code is best friend 20. To use it, go to magicmind.co slash best friend and enter the code BESTFRIEND20 at checkout. Plus, if you get the subscription, it is 40% off. The 40% off code only lasts 10 days, so go ahead and get to it. I am so grateful to have Magic Mind as a sponsor. The fact that their team sees value in what we're doing here at Your Woo Woo Best Friend makes me so happy. It's always my goal to share ideas and products with you that will help you live a more radiant and well life. And this is definitely one of them. If you want to see how darling the packaging is, we'll share it over on our Instagram stories on our essentials highlight. Once you try it, DM me and let me know how it's working for you. Now let's meet our show guest for today. Sensei Koshin Paley Ellison has devoted his life to the study and application of psychotherapy and Buddhism. He is also an author, a Zen teacher and monk, and a Jungian psychotherapist. In 2007, he founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, a nonprofit in Chelsea that offers meditation training 
and study programs for medical professionals and caregivers. Over the last 10 years, Sensei Ellison's name has come up in my inbox time and time again. There's an article from the New York Times in which he's interviewed about his morning routine. And in that article, so much of what he said resonated with me. And in particular, when asked about working with people who are ill or dying, he said, and this is his quote, I spend a little bit of my time with people who know that they are dying. And I'm spending the rest of my time with people who don't know that they're dying. Because what I've learned from this work is that each moment is so precious. Let that sink in for a minute. Spending the rest of your time with people who don't know that they are dying. Because each of us is moving one day closer to the end of our life. So I invite you as we get into this episode to consider Sensei Ellison's teachings and to remember that every moment of this precious life that we're each so privileged to live is one of tremendous importance. Sensei Ellison's new book is called Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion. The Eightfold Path is one of Buddhism's foundational teachings. This book just launched this week, so we're celebrating this book launch with him, and it's designed to heal society from our shallow, junk, pleasure-seeking culture where people are searching for connection in all the wrong places. Sensei Ellison grew up as a young gay kid dealing with abuse and discrimination and immersed himself in the teachings from both Eastern and Western wisdom traditions. It's ultimately an ancient cure that is up to the challenge of addressing the dysfunction of our times. Hello, Sensei Koshin Paley Ellison. Welcome to the show. Hello, Andy. How are you? How's it going? It is going extremely well. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. First and foremost, congratulations on official launch week for your book. How does it Thank feel? You. It feels wonderful. You know, to first of all, I think one of the things about writing is that some people think of it as a solitary practice, but I find the writing process is so collaborative Mm. and working with different friends and having people read it and feeling into it. It feels like a beautiful way of communicating and then preparing to bring it into the world. It's like this whole other network of relationships. And Mm -hmm. so for me, as a person who loves relationship, for me, it feels like almost like heaven. Oh, I love that description of writing. I often say I have a little bit of a love-hate with writing. I'm going to try to get more on the heaven side of writing. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And even though, like, sometimes, like, parts of the book were very, very painful to write and write into and to kind of interrogate some thoughts about in particular, because I wanted to write really into suffering and how we untangle that and so to I also felt like it was my role to really Mm. be as honest as I can and really learn as I was writing into things and so it was just an amazing you know in many times heart-wrenching and heart-expanding challenge and because I wanted to companion people and talk about what's hard for me so that we can be in what's hard together and then learning how to walk through what's what seems um, too difficult or too unstable or too overwhelming and to me the beauty is learning how to do that together so one of my wishes for this book and what my imagination is was for it to be a companion for people who know what it is to be heartbroken, to be distracted, to be anxious, and that there is another way to work with that. 
Mm, so, so special. So let's talk about, well, let's talk about the book a little bit. Let's talk about the Eightfold Path. For those that are not familiar with the Eightfold Path, can you give us, can you give us the overview of the Eightfold Path? Yeah. So the Eightfold Path is the fourth of the Four Noble Truths. And so there was this guy who lived about 2,600 years ago, just a person like you and I, and who is now thought of as, you know, the Buddha, the historical Buddha. And he lived a kind of privileged life. And his father, I think it's always very helpful to realize, so when he was born, he was born to a leader of a clan and his father was that leader and as the son born in that situation the father wanted him to be like him which is nothing new there and and yet it was also prophesied that well he could either be a great leader or a great sage someone who's really wise so the father said well how do i make sure he is like me and the his advisor said, well, just, you know, keep him distracted mm. and around pleasure. And so he, there was all sorts of food and sensual pleasure in their family compound. And he was kind of told not to leave that. And I feel like in many ways, there's that happens to all of us. We get involved in our phones into our, in our little group of friends or our Instagram feed or whatever that is. And we can kind of just get very small and hunched over a bit. And it came at a certain time when he said, well, what else is there? And I think that maybe we're all listening to your beautiful podcast and because we're thinking like, well, what else is possible here? How else can we move out? And so he did. And what he encountered was what we'll all encounter, which he encountered a very old person and a very sick person and a dead person. And so he realized like, whoa, what's all this about? And his companion said, well, this is what will happen to all of us. And he said, well, what do you do? And the next person he met was someone who was on a spiritual path. And so he decided, well, I'd like to do that. And so moving out from our distraction, putting our phone down, I always like to think of him putting his phone down <laughs> and just like, all right, what else is out here? He got and off Instagram, out. turned off the TikTok and went to look to see. Took a little detox. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, he tried lots of different things. And so tried a little, you know, some apps, he tried, you know, went to an ashram, he went to, you know, di tried different forms of spiritual practice. And at a certain point, he felt like that I'm never going to really change until I face my fears. And so he sat under this fig tree, which is now called the Bodhi tree in India. And he said, I have to, I'm not going to move until I see through my fears. And so he did, and he got very scared and very, all sorts of discomfort arose and awkwardness and all of it. And he just stayed. And then at a certain point, you know, he reached down and just said, you know, oh, house builder, thou art seen at last. The ridgepole is shattered. Nevermore will you build a house of sorrow. He, so what he saw was that he was the person maintaining his own sorrow. Mm. So when we stay in our compound, when we stay just in our feed, we don't actually nourish what's actually truly pleasurable. And so he began teaching right away. And the first teaching was the Four Noble Truths, which is what is the Eightfold Path is part of. And I remember as a very young kid opening a book on Buddhism, and I was like, it had these Four Noble Truths, and it said that after the Buddha woke up, he said these things. And the first one is the nobility of suffering. And I remember thinking, thank you so much. I remember saying that as a child, I'm like, thank you. 
you know, I felt I grew up in an environment where there's a lot of kind of gaslighting in a certain way where, oh, that's not really what's going on, you know, and so someone saying, yes, there's a nobility in saying there is a tangle, there is difficulty. And so that's the first nobility and the nobility of honoring what's hard, right? And the second nobility is that there are causes to that. And it's because we hold on to things, often are hurt and hold on to mm. old stories about ourselves. And we have delusions where we think that we're like either the worst or the best. And we think that we're not part of the whole world. And there's another, you know, cause which is our hatred and resentments just like when we hold grudges you know just that just eats us up and the nobility of that to say oh yes all people you me where we live in los angeles or okie scobie or wherever we live people struggle with this and the third nobility is that we can pivot we can change there's another way of being which is, I remember reading that and thinking, thank goodness. And the fourth is the Eightfold Path, which is really, you know, what is like the medicine. So the Buddha is often described as the great physician. And for the reason, because he prescribed this prescription for, and the diagnosis was the suffering, the tangle, and how to work with that. So what's the medicine? So the medicine really, the Eightfold Path is made up of three parts. And one part is really about ethics. So getting in touch with our own values and what really are our values. Because oftentimes so much of our harm and harm in general comes from when we have, I think most people have great values but oftentimes there's a huge gulf between what we're actually doing with our life and our actions and our words and what we actually value. So it's really about bringing that together. And the other two parts of the full path are wisdom and compassion. Mm. So just these different ways of really mm, tuning in and dropping into what is available and it doesn't matter if you're buddhist or not you know it's just about these basic basic goodness that is available and and we have to in some ways go through what's difficult to get there yeah i find that some of the most profound people in my life are those who have moved through suffering in some capacity and they've sat with that long enough to begin to find the value, the compassion, the wisdom on the other side of something that at one point was a really horrific or traumatic life experience. Truly. Yeah. It's such a big deal. It is. I want to talk about the tangles a bit, these tangles that hold us back, fears, anxieties, stories we tell ourselves, self-created insecurities, doubts. I absolutely find in my work that those tangles are what most often keeps us from pursuing our dreams and our passions. Can you share some perspective on how to begin to move through or to untangle the tangles? Yeah, well, I can share in particular how I've experienced it. And I share a lot of this in the book. And you know, I grew up in a home where really good people who really allowed and did some terrible things. And so I really felt like I was in trouble. And, and I really knew in some way that these people really were tangled up and they weren't able to really see me. They weren't really able to see themselves. I knew that they were good people. And so the tangle was like that 
when our actions and our values don't match up, that is such a painful, and I think it's very much like what you're talking about, about when we don't pursue what we dream because we're just knotted up because we're so reactive and we're not reflecting enough or haven't even learned how to reflect. And outside of my house, I was being bullied for being Jewish. I was being bullied for being gay. It was really what a, quite a gauntlet. You know, it didn't feel like there was a lot of safety, like literal physical safety. And it came to a point where, in particular, where, yeah, I really felt that I didn't know how for things to continue. And so I had this moment in particular where I had uh, suicidal ideation and that really moved from ideation into really taking out, you know, a razor and Mm -hmm. beginning to think about actually doing it and feeling the coldness of it on my wrist. And I felt so alone, so alone. And I was in the bathroom where I would go, which was the only room with a lock on it because it was safe. It was a room I spent a lot of time in. And, uh, but something happened as I was sitting there that I somehow looked out the window and saw the light on top of the pine trees in our backyard. We had a beautiful backyard. And and it was something about the nature and to see the expanse of sky and trees meeting each other that I realized that I had to change. That somehow that there were other possibilities. I don't even know how that came through, but it did. And it was then that I really realized what I had been thinking about for a long time was how do I find a teacher, like a real teacher, who could teach me a different way to live? And so the next day I went to the, walked to the local strip mall where there was a karate school which was in the basement underneath the drugstore. <laughs> and, uh, and I began sitting there and practicing there all the time. And it was really quite powerful to sit there because in the beginning of the karate class there, which was quite different maybe than most karate classes, it was, first of all, like a wood floor. And the teacher would just have a sit in seiza, which is like where you have your feet under your butt and you're just like sitting on the floor. And it's really, really painful. Like most of us think about meditation and like some like nice yoga studio or a nice little situation. <laughs> this is like in a smelly basement <laughs> somewhere. And uh, it was so painful. And I remember sweating and sweating and and him circling around very slowly, walking around all of us, small group of people, and say, you'll never be free until you can be still with your pain. Mm. So I think in some ways, like when he used to say that, and I can still hear him say it. And he said that first day that I was there and many days after that, that I felt like that was a way to begin untangling, to actually be with and acknowledge the pain. And I feel like that's the beginning of freedom. The beginning of untangling is to say, I'm in pain. I have pain. And that's when we can also, and when I've experienced where I can realize what else is true, that I'm in pain and I'm okay. I'm in pain and I can see the trees. You know, I started to realize that you could actually have multiple experiences at the same time. Like I could be in excruciating pain, which I was, and feel inspired. And that there's something about going through it, as we were just talking about, that I feel like it's the primary way, and it's so counterintuitive 
you know, I look at my, we have these adorable cats, you know, and once a boy check them out, I'm Bodhidharma burrito, and they, <laughs> they're very skittish, you know, like they hear a sound and they're like, you know. <laughs> and so I think that there's something, you know, animal-like in us that when we get uncomfortable, we, we jump, we react. And as human beings, we have this other opportunity to say like, oh, I got scared. And what, what was scary? Am I still in that situation? Am I actually in danger? One of the ways that I also work with that is, you know, with my husband, Chota, like that we've learned to start telling each other the story we're telling ourselves. Mm, that's so, oh, I love that. That's so good. And so the other day, it was, I write about this many times in the book, but also like, just the other day, I was, in the closet getting something. And I was coming out of the closet and Chad was like, why are you so upset with me? And I was like, what? <laughs> he said, well, I saw your face. And I said, what's the story you're telling yourself? And he's like, the story I'm telling myself is like, you're done with me. Mm. And somehow like just saying that is so freeing. Because, like, of course that wasn't true. And, you know, well, maybe it could have been, but it was, I think it's been really helpful in some ways to realize the story we're telling ourselves when we get caught in a feeling. Mm -hmm. And then we think the feeling is true. So it's kind of learning how to have a feeling. Like, oh, I'm scared, or now I'm nervous. And that means something. We jump so quickly into it meaning something as opposed to just a moment of nervousness or just a moment of insecurity. Oh, yeah. And in relationships, you have those moments and then they build and they build and they build. And when you don't clear it, it's like we're just walking around having a relationship that isn't even like none, none of it's even true. It's just what we're, we're carrying. Ben and I had a, a little moment like that on Sunday. We had folks over for dinner and I had, he'd been outside grilling with uh, the gentleman of the couple that we had over. And I was inside with um, my girlfriend and we were doing the vegetables and then we were done with the vegetables. So I sat down and I, the Sunday times was on the table and I flipped open the paper and I was like flipping through the paper. And she and I had had a moment of just quietness. We were just, we were just having, we just had a moment of quietness. We'd been in the kitchen and Ben walked in and saw that we weren't engaging. And he got really nervous that like, I'm being a bad host. And so he says to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm reading the Sunday Times. And he kind of looked at me and his intention was to say, put the times up and go engage with our guest. And what I was telling myself was, you think that I think I'm too good to talk to guests and instead I'll sit here and educate myself about what's going on in the world and so you're making fun of me about the Sunday time, about the fact that I read the paper. So that's where I went. And my feelings were so hurt. The rest of the evening, I was like, he thinks I think I'm too good to have conversations with our guests. And in his mind, he was like, I just want to be a great host. And it seems you two have disconnected. What's happening? So it took us three days to get back to that having happened. And what the truth in it really was for each of us, which was he was having an insecurity about not being a good host. And I was having an insecurity about someone thinking that I thought I was too good for the conversations that were going on. And when we landed on it, we were like, how silly is this? This is just, and we both were holding this. And look what that does when you just carry these things along. So I love the, just let it be known. What is the story that you're it's telling yourself? So freeing so freeing yeah i love that so much so so good so you've had an opportunity to work with people who have experienced trauma people that have been very sick people that um, are grieving over the loss of loved ones as they've transitioned from this life to the next what lessons have you learned in working with trauma and grief and death and sickness First of all, it's such a privilege, you know, like I feel that it's, 
you know, it's a place where I've used my own trauma. You know, like I know trauma very well myself and I've worked, done a lot of work around it, therapy and lots and lots of years of group work and all kinds of um, ways of really getting into it. So I feel I'm not afraid of it. And, you know, someone was asking the other day, like, what's the secret sauce? You know, like, you're just really there. And I said, well, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of being with, you know, it's with, I'll tell you two different stories. So one, one is um, this incredible woman came to the Zen Center and I just knew that her son had died and and more and more we're actually getting calls from parents because you know as suicide and, and children dying by suicide is really on the rise and teenagers in particular and I knew that her son had died by suicide and she was coming in to meet with me and very well put together, very kind of on point person, beautifully dressed and composed. And we went into a private space just to meet together. And we sat down and we just looked at each other and I said, just tell me how it is. And she began sobbing, like no words, just sobbing and getting really, like one of those like kind of primal, like a mother grieving her son and just like really snotty and really the whole thing, like her whole dress became wet. And I just sat there with her, being fully engaged and feeling her, feeling her sorrow, and just allowing her to grieve in that way. And after about 20 minutes of howling and sobbing, she just eventually looked up and not, didn't even clean her face or anything. It was so beautiful. And she said, thank you so much. Everyone I know is telling me that how it's gonna get better. Everyone is telling me, or if I begin to cry, they give me a tissue. Because I feel like they don't, they wanna clean it up. And you're the first person to allow me to be a mess because I am part of me is a deep mess and I just need to be messy I want to feel messy because it's messy so being with her was a tremendous gift of she teaching me about just allowing people to grieve fully and how we often feel like we have to fix them or like make it better or run in, you know, with the tissues. Often, you know, I'm in many groups and people are so quick to offer a tissue. But there's something so beautiful about just allowing it. You know, tissues are available. They were actually right next to her, but not need it unless that person so to me it's also was wonderful teaching about that kind of traumatic loss and how it's just awful and to allow the awful to honor the awful and just to hold space for what's awful and i feel like that has to happen in order for things to shift and uh so I just really appreciate her so much. The other, you know, my primary teacher in this was my grandmother, my grandma Mimi. And 
she was an extraordinary person. And when her husband died, she was 83 and was still working full time. You know, she was a woman who loved to work. She ran a very successful law office and art dealer. And she was a woman about town. <laughs> and, and we made a deal that we would care for each other that we would, she knew that, you know, I'm still aware that I'm 83 and things will change and let's care for each other. So we did. And so from hospitalizations and ambulance rides to, you know, all of that. And being with her and seeing with her and being a partner with her until we moved into the hospice with her, we moved in together for the last six weeks of her life. And, and I just remember a few things is that one is that she was just so struck by how most people, even if they're, so, she's like, they're so well-meaning, but they're so afraid. And they're, she said, even the doctors and nurses and the chaplains and the social workers, she's like, they're hiding behind their busyness. Mm. She's like, you know, I feel like that they're all well-meaning, but they don't know how to slow down. And she's like, I'm not talking about a lot of time. And so that was one thing about what are, one of the lessons to me was like, yeah, what are we so busy doing if we're not paying attention? And it doesn't take a lot of time. And the other thing I learned from her, which is what you learn from many dying people, was that the regrets are not that I'm so glad I was so busy all the time. <laughs> the regrets are that what was I so busy doing all the time? What was I so distracted about? What was I hiding from? And so the, both my grandmother and the many, many people that I've been with at the last moments of their life the regret, the sorrow is usually out of not living fully, hiding and not expressing and living into the loving nature of what we have and appreciating the exquisite beauty of this world. And the other thing she, you know, she was an amazing person and she, woke me up one night, you know, a few days before she died. And she said, uh, she woke me up. She's like, I'm, and she was crying. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, what are you so sorry about grandma? And she said, I didn't love you fully. And I said, what do you mean? Because actually in that moment, I thought I'd never felt so loved. And she said, well, there was a part of me that withheld some love from you because I didn't understand that whole Zen thing. And I felt like it was a betrayal to our family. And I didn't like it, so I kind of held back a little bit. And I'm so sorry about that. And she's like, I realize now, can't believe it took me so long, that to love someone is to love all the things about them even the things you don't like, because they're what make them that. I mean, whew. amazing, amazing. What a teacher she is. How do you think that just in society in general, we can start to see past the stuff we don't like because we all have the stuff and start to love each other more, take better care of each other as a society. How do we do it? I think a lot about that. Like, I hope and you have something profound for us because we need this. <laughs> well, what I often tell my students and myself is who cares? You know, like we care often too much about our preferences. And there was a really, 
really great moment where, you know, because I think that we often really just care way too much about what we prefer was happening. And it's like the scales get out of balance where it's so much about what we care about and what we wished was happening as opposed to what is happening. And I remember we were with our friend Dan and <laughs> and it was really fun because we were going out, we're at the beach, this is a, you know, in the summer and he asked Chota and I like, oh, what kind of smoothie do you want? What kind of smoothie do you want? And Chota was like, well, I don't know, I don't know. I, you know, I have so many preferences. <laughs> And Dan said, you know, well, the great way is going to be hard for you. So there's a famous poem from about a thousand years ago in China that says, the great way is not difficult for those who don't cling to their preferences. So it's, you know, like how we hold so tight to like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Ah, How do we take a breath and just like open our hand? to whatever we're gripping onto as our preference or what we wished was happening or we wish wasn't happening and learn how to relax into what is happening is an easy thing to say and it feels I have to say it feels really good to do just to like have a sense of humor with ourselves and to have a sense of like, oh my goodness, I'm holding so tight to wanting, you know, this kind of ice cream or that kind of ice cream. I can't believe the store is open or it's closed or whatever that is. Like we get so caught up in such often kind of crappy things that don't actually have a lot of fundamental meaning but we get caught in the kind of the, the brambles. We get tangled up about the, in some ways, the silliest things. And so I'm just always interested in like, how can we just be a bit more loving? How can we have a sense of humor? How can we try on this expression? Like who cares so much? Like we often care too much about our preferences. And how do we care more about what's loving, what's wise, and what's compassionate? So I often, in those moments, if I'm feeling like, I want, feeling like a little hungry demon, <laughs> and just say, okay, learning how to like literally bring my attention back to my body, ground myself, feel soft in my belly, upright in my spine and open to my shoulders and be like, okay, what's wise, what's compassionate and what's loving right now? Who cares so much about what I want? My little temper tantrum. Oh, one other. <laughs> <laughs> There's this amazing movie called Spirited Away, which is, I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't but seen it. I'm gonna check it out. It's a Japanese animation movie quite deep and fascinating called Miyazaki is this incredible artist and in the in the movie which is not really what the movie's about but there's this gigantic baby you know and I love this giant baby because it's like way out of proportion baby and I feel like in those moments we become like that baby it's like (laughs) (laughs) we like I want what I want. And it's like, and they're always in the movie with the baby, like, be careful of the baby, don't upset the baby. (laughs) (laughs) And so the baby needs to be put in this like special room with all these toys and pillows and et cetera. So that, so just to appreciate the giant baby in us, you know, like that, you know, like that it wants what it wants when it wants it. And to love that too. You know, to love our giant baby. So I'm not saying to shut anything down, but just like take care of the baby and realize that it's a giant baby. Yeah, we're all walking around as the giant baby, ultimately. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, tr- we truly are. Oh, my. I- I've been having this experience lately. This is definitely a little woo. Um, 
where I was having these moments where I was like kind of struggling. We were talking before we started recording about living in Los Angeles. I was having these moments of being out in the city and moving about and noticing there's a lot of suffering going on a lot. It seems to be more and more by the day and I'm seeing this and I was starting to feel like I can't, I can't, I can't be out here. I can't, I can't be involved in, in all of this suffering and see it, seeing it just really affects me. And I didn't plan for this to happen. This is the woo part. I started to notice that when I would really dial in on someone's suffering when I could really see them as I'm like moving along the street, they would in front of my eyes begin to transition into a small child or a very old person. It usually would happen that if they were presently a bit older, I would start to see the child in them. Or if they're quite young and are suffering, I would start to see them on the other side of suffering as the as an older, wiser person having moved through the suffering. So mm. it's 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 now it's happening more and more often where I'm like out walking along and I'm like, oh yep, there they are. Okay, people are suffering and there is this inner child or this wise elder in each of us. And when we can begin to see that in each other, we start to move through suffering in a quicker way. I think, I think that's what's happening as I'm experiencing it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I, I've been sharing this a little bit with some of my friends that can like kind of feel into that woo too. And what I've shared is if we could just start to see the inner child in each of us, the wise elder in each of us, what, what sort of conversations could be had? What sort of suffering could we collectively share and help each other process? And um, I, don't, I don't know how to teach that on a larger scale, but I hope that other folks start to find that they're, they're incorporating some of that seeing in that way, perhaps. It it's beautiful. You know, it's like that you call it woo, you know, and <laughs> to me it's like that there's an exercise that, a friend of mine likes to encourage people to do is like, just imagine everyone as a golden Buddha mm. that everybody would just walk around and see everyone as a golden Buddha, like that everyone has that capacity. So whether it's, you know, depending on how we experience life and seeing things as, you know, inner child, seeing the beautiful inner child, as you're saying, or if we call it a golden Buddha, you know, like, what is that kind of, what is underneath? It's kind of going back to these values mm-hmm. about like this, like something or the compassion and wisdom and love that actually is always available. And it's just exquisite to have the opportunity and to me, that's why I love the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, because it's just like, it shows us like, actually, how do we do that? And how do we, because what we can work with are the conditions. And we can't really control the outcome of everything, but we can nourish ourselves, as you're describing, into a state of mind and working with our body and mind so that we can actually be open and curious and loving and full of wonder even. Mm. It's possible. Yeah, it really is. And in the moment that I first started experiencing that, that engagement with other folks in that way, I was at a point where I was like, I don't know if I can like, I don't know if I can come out and engage in the world. I want to like run home and hide because it makes me feel bad to be out here experiencing so much suffering and seeing I'm, I'm experiencing the suffering of others. They're suffering and I'm then I'm absorbing that. And I thought, I don't want to have to hide away from the world. I don't want to go just stay home in my garden in my backyard. That feels amazing, but that's all. I also want to connect and, and be, be in the world and, that has that has helped me tremendously just going through that process of seeing people in that way mm, it's such a big deal it's such a big deal you know and in what in so many ways like what we do with our life day to day is everything like not waiting you know i remember many years ago when i began my 
work and doing spiritual care in the hospital. And this guy was flow airlifted in because he had an aneurysm and I was working in a hospital where they specialized in that. And he had, his blood vessel had burst in his brain as he was walking out of his car in the parking lot to his retirement party. Oh, wow. And and I was sitting there with his wife and and he just said he was dying. They couldn't actually save him. He said, I just, I can't believe I lived my life for retirement. And we could really, to me, I continue to use his teaching as a way of living each day. He said, I missed every day because I was always when, 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 when. I don't know if you can hear that. Here in New York City, you hear this ambulance. So it's like this wonderful reminder. Somebody, each moment, you know, this is precious. This is, and use, this is an opportunity to be used fully, mm-hmm. this life. And to think about that guy, I will call him Larry, to use Larry's last teaching, to be able to say, like, don't wait, don't wait, you know. And for me, this is what Untangled is about. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I have one more question I want to ask you. And this is, uh, I suppose, a reflection of the not waiting and then also with the speed of the world that we're living in and wanting wanting to be fulfilled immediately and then that creating this giant baby that we, we embody and we walk around in. What is your perspective on the power of patience when it comes to getting the things we want in life? I always think of, (laughs) I always think of that great line from Wizard of Oz, all in good time, my pretty, all in good time. (laughs) You know, there's something to that, you know, that line, you know, I always thought that was so amazing, you know, all in good time, you know, and just to realize that Ah, you know, we want to rush everything. And I think of, I have a friend, Gyoke, and he um, makes me think of two stories. One is that he is really interested in helping Zen to flourish in, in Canada. He's like, well, I'll do my part for the time that I'm alive. And then, you know, we'll see if that flourishes after that. You know, so it's kind of a beautiful way of thinking about our lives as a continuum. Or my friend Sato, who lives in Japan, the north, and he's creating a millennium forest where his wish is to create this gigantic forest for 500 years from now. Wow. And something that he will never see. And the other thing it makes me think of is this very powerful scene in the, there's a beautiful book called Zorba the Greek. And there's this one scene in it where the main character is kind of finds a cocoon and wants to hasten it. And so he takes it in his hands and he blows on it and blows and tries to heat it up to try to get it to go faster. And then it, and the more he blows on it, it starts to move inside and he keeps blowing on it and then it starts to emerge. But it has not yet had its time for transformation and it doesn't have any wings. So it's this butterfly without wings. And so to me, it's such a powerful image of patience and what's required 
And again, it maybe it's similar to that, you know, the teaching of who cares, like, you know, I want it to go, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. It's like the big baby again. And it's like, okay, little baby, you know, go to sleep. Or do you need a cracker? Or like, what do you need? And coming back to the, you know, the posture of grounded, soft, open and upright and say, okay, yes, I'm feeling impatient. Oh, yeah. And being loving towards that, too. And just feeling, you know, a sense of healthy embarrassment of like, my goodness, I want things to go how I want them to go. And just, you know, again, having a loving attitude and a sense of humor. It's like, my goodness. My goodness. Yeah. There's so much beauty. And as you said, living for the living, just living to be in the experience of life and the, the practice of patience is a really incredible one when we know that we're not waiting for retirement. We're just here living because we have big, beautiful wishes and dreams and every day is a striving towards it in some way. I mean, we have this one life, right? We're, what we know for sure is that we're here now. And so there's some great ingredients to work with. And wishing we were somewhere else doesn't tend to bring much joy. Yes, 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 yes. I'm all about the joy. Yeah, me too. It's it's such good stuff, that joy, such good stuff. So tell us where we can find the book and more information about you and your work, all of those good things. Yeah. So the book is sold in, in ebook and audio and hardcover and anywhere that books are sold, Amazon or indie presses or, or indie sites. And the Zen Center is uh, available for anyone who's interested in learning about meditation learning about how to integrate your values and how you care for the world. So we have a a training program also called Foundations in Contemplative Care, which is available to anyone around the globe who are interested in, again, spending nine months of really looking at bringing your values and your actions together. And we also have a fellowship in contemplative medicine for any physicians or nurse practitioners or physician assistants who are also interested in spending a year and redefining what contemplation means, what medicine truly is, and how do we actually build fellowship and community. And we also, starting in January, have a something called Commit to Sit. So it's 90 days of teachings around how do we pay attention? How do we find ordinary wonder? And we have 16 teachers from across the United States and Japan who will be giving talks and there'll be daily practice together. And people can participate in big ways and small ways. And it's just really great. And all of that can be found at zencare.org and you can follow the New York Zen Center on Instagram as well as my own Instagram at Coach and Paley Ellison and the life is really sweet we also have a podcast um, called Zen Care and that you can also listen to and for your own support and connection perfect Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for what you bring to the world. Thank you. Yeah. So much gratitude. And again, big congratulations on the book. I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. If you have loved this episode and you want to support us, if you want to support this show, you can do two things. One, drop down onto the app that you are listening to this episode 
on right now and leave us a review five stars if you believe that's what we are worthy of and go share it on your social and tag us at your woo woo bff thank you so much to magic mind for sponsoring this episode as i mentioned if you're interested in trying magic mind and i suggest you do it's the world's first productivity drink that contains matcha adaptogens, nootropics, and honey to help with your flow state, your immunity, and so much more. Go to magicmind.co slash best friend. That's M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D dot co slash best friend and use my code best friend 20. You can get a limited 40% off the Magic Mind subscription and 20% off a one-time purchase. I'll be back again next week with another episode. As always, sending you so much radiant love. Have a beautiful remainder of your day. I'll see you again super soon.